Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, Double G from the Fight Game Podcast and Fight Game Media. We're doing a $25 Amazon gift card giveaway for those who rate and review us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Now, how do you do that? Well, you take a screenshot and you send that screenshot to gg at fightgamemedia.com. We'll keep this going for two weeks. At the end of the two weeks, which will be January 16th, We'll choose a winner via random and email the winner. Unfortunately, because of how this stuff generally works, we can only do this for U.S. residents. Again, gg at fightgamemedia.com. Now, on to the show. everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm Keela Cash and we're back here for the first wrap of 2022, which covers day one, the first major not WWE pay-per-view of the year. It's now called a premium live event. I got to get used to that because pay-per-views are no longer in the WWE vocabulary, but we'll deal with it. And by my side always is my right-hand man, my co-captain, and Von Wagner's hype man, Scott Young, is back per the usual. Happy New Year, Scott. Thank you. Happy New Year to you, too. I hope it was wonderful. Um, I'm sure it was better than Von Wagner's. But I am here, you know, to start the new year off on a good foot. So I'm here to rep Big Daddy V. He should have been on the pay-per-view. I I think he could have helped it. Or the the premium event. The premium event. (laughs) The premium live event. Yeah. Yeah. I think he could have helped it. I think he would have been... Um, a good foil for probably uh, Baron Corbin, since Corbin didn't seem to have anything to do. And I would have rather Von Wagner be under that object that Corbin drops instead of uh, Drew. But we'll get to that later. You're going to make me root for Baron Corbin over Von Wagner, which is just the (laughs) worst possible scenario imaginable. But here we are when Baron Corbin is my favorite wrestler. In this instance, over Von Wagner, your dude. But 
We'll get to Happy Corbin shortly, as his gimmick took a very dark turn last night. But we do have to offer some breaking news regarding day one in that we thought we were going to get a massive Universal Championship match featuring Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. But it did not take place due to Roman testing positive for COVID-19. Very unfortunate news that broke around 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern via the WWE Twitter machine. And because of this news, Brock Lesnar has invoked his free agent clause and was added to the WWE Championship match as the main event of day one. And this was a very shitty situation. We knew that stars were being pulled from the road this past week due to COVID-19 outbreaks within the company and NXT as well. But to see Roman test positive was a very shitty way to kick off day one for me. Yeah, um, just just not good news. You know, forget about the wrestling part, you know, his his health and safety, which is I mean, this is a big part of why he took so much time off in the first place. Um, You know, this is what he was worried about. Now he's back on the road, you know, and the COVID is picking back up this new strain. So, yeah, this is this is not good news. You know, I'm wishing him the best, nothing but the best speedy recovery. And it's it's crazy because Seth Rollins, who just tested positive, was able to come back and wrestle in this show. And then Roman tests positive, you know, it's just just a a real string of bad luck for for WWE, for the performers. But like I said, wrestling aside, his health comes first. So hoping him a a speedy recovery from it, because this is, a you know, it's a this strand. It seems like it's more contagious. It is. It's really hitting people at a record clip. Cases sky high across the country and the world the last couple of weeks. And as we get through the holiday rush, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's kind of like last year, but worse. But hopefully the case lows in terms of deaths remain low for this country and that Roman makes a quick and swift recovery. He was definitely missed last night. But I'm going to make things a little bit light regarding Seth Rollins because I know he was by far in storyline the angriest man in this match. I won a ladder match for fucking what? Four fucking people reign on my parade as a chance, as my chance to become WWE champion to kick off the new year. And Scott's scenario almost happened. It was almost a six-pack challenge. Yeah, that's uh, that's not the prediction I wanted to come true. But, uh, you know, I saw something online. It had uh, Seth Rollins versus Big E in the singles match graphic. Then it had Seth Rollins versus Big E versus Kevin Owens in a triple threat graphic. Then it had Seth Rollins versus Big E versus Kevin Owens versus Bobby Lashley in the four-way. Then it has the five-way graphic. I mean... This guy has a great storyline to go after Brock Lesnar if they wanted to do that and turn him babyface. It's all right there because he literally just got screwed out of a one-on-one title shot, and the final guy that got added won. You know, won the title. There's a story right there. They're obviously not going to do that, but that's a that's a pretty easy story they could tell right there if they ever decided they wanted to you know turn Seth babyface. It is a multi-layered multi-layered story that absolutely makes sense. They won't do it. And I feel for Seth because he won a ladder match fair and square. And look what happened. Some things happen that you cannot control. And I completely get it. But damn, that ladder match really meant nothing in hindsight for anybody at the end of the day. But as we let Seth dwell in his misery of having four other people in his championship sites, let's focus on the pre-show that kicked off day one going down live from the State Farm Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. We had Sheamus and Rich Holland versus Cesaro and Ricochet. 
And poor Ridge Holland, this guy cannot catch a break at all. So Ricochet gets tagged into this match, and Cesaro flips Ricochet into what is supposed to be some sort of moonsault, but he lands boot to nose of Rich Holland and Rich Holland busts his nose wide open. There is blood gushing everywhere. He has a broken nose. He must leave this match. And I saw a picture of his nose being rearranged on his face, a very graphic image. I wish him a very speedy recovery. But if WWE chooses to go in the stalker storyline direction regarding Rich Holland's infatuation and obsession with Sheamus, now they have broken noses to compare Scott. Yeah, uh, it's a nice little connection there. You know, they can bond over the broken nose. Maybe they can both wear the mask again. You know, Seamus can don his mask. So there's a nice little connection there. Uh, I, I, you know, the, the funny thing is I was in the Facebook group and I was I was talking to him and I was I said Ricochet and, Shea, and uh, Cesaro could be a, a fun a fun team. And next thing you know, they he first movie does he flicks flips his foot right into Ridge's face, breaks his nose, and he's out of the match. And now we turn in Sheamus into a babyface as he wins a handicap match. I mean, what what a turn of events! And why not just flip the match at that point? Why not just have Cesaro just go in on that guy and just let Sheamus just work as the babyface? I think it would have. I think in that scenario, it would have worked. But instead, it just makes Sheamus look like this beast, and it really. I think it really hurt. Cesaro and Ricochet to lose a two-on-one match completely clean. Yes, fighting babyface Sheamus, making a hero's comeback, beating down Ricochet and Cesaro. I love the post into the top of crossbody by Cesaro midway through this match and the big swing as well goes for that sharpshooter that Sheamus is able to block and he goes on the outside to hit Ricochet with the white noise on the outside and then he's able to get back in the ring and hit a bro kick on Cesaro a short time later to win the match fighting conquering babyface Sheamus fights off two dudes at the same time to win the first match of 2022 for WWE good for the badass babyface Sheamus None of that made sense. But as we all know, plans change in WWE. And the one time Vince could have redone the script on the fly, he refuses to do so. Yeah. And, and you know, that's OK. You know, Sheamus just gets a nice win and hopefully they do something with him. I, I still think there's a great story to be told with him going after the IC title, the only title he's never held. I, I just that that story has to be told and he has to he's got to get that win. So um, I, I I love everything. I, I love Sheamus. I, I love everything about what he brings to the table. His matches just feel different. There's a level of physicality that others don't have. And I, I love it, man. I, I'm a big fan of Sheamus. Yeah, Sheamus is one of my MVPs of last year. This dude never missed in the ring. Every match was physical. The bumps and bruises this man took on his body last year was ridiculous. He showed those body scars every single time on Twitter. He just really put in that work. And as you mentioned, there is an IC title journey to be told with Sheamus, preferably as a babyface, because I think he still has one good run as a face with that badass edge to really get over with the people because he's been remarkable this past year in the ring and he's not slowing down a bit despite his de facto babyface performance tonight which was completely unintentional due to rich holland's broken nose thanks a lot ricochet no fault of your own but damn what a way to kick off the in-ring action for wwe at day one 
And now it is time for our first official match of the year. It is for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. It is the Usos repping that day one-ish against the New Days, Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods with quite possibly one of the best entrances this year, gliding on the throne as they make their way down to the ring. I thought that was pretty sick. And per the usual, these two teams are always deliver the goods they never miss on a pre-show on the main show on tv they have a special chemistry that's been on display for nearly five years now and last night was no exception as scott takes point on this matchup man oh man this this was an awesome 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 match just a fantastic tag team encounter um i think these two put on this match just to make sure that everyone knows we are two of the best tag teams in the world. Anytime you talk about the best tag teams in the world, we have to be in that conversation. And this match showed why. I mean, they they laid, they started off slow pace. You knew it was going to be a long match once they did that. But once it got into that second gear, it kept picking up a different gear. I even think it got to that fifth gear at the end. Um, you know, they started trading finishers, kicking out of the big moves that only these two teams kick out of. You know, and that's something that I think is really cool about their rivalry is these two are the only two that, you know, teams that kick out of each other's bigger moves like that. Like nobody kicks out of the double stomp that Xavier Woods gives on the for the from the backbreaker from Kofi Kingston. Nobody kicks out of that. But the Usos do. Nobody kicks out of the double splash that the Usos does. But the New Day do like that. That's just how this rivalry works. It's it's something special. It's an all time great rivalry. I hope they don't wrestle again for a while now you know hopefully they we move on to a different thing but this match was special loved loved the 3d finish at the end didn't see it coming came out of nowhere i I thought it was well placed because you needed to hit something different you know they hit them with everything everything they could think of so they was like all right so let's hit them with this they won't see this coming and bam came out of nowhere it was great fantastic tag match um you know, this is a, I, <laughs> the crazy part is we're going to forget about this in six months. You know, nobody's going to think about this tag match, but this is going to be one of the best tag team matches for WWE, I think, all year. This was a great match. For sure. They absolutely stole the show last night in the A, and it was great action from start to finish. A very creative finish. The 3D that Pat McAfee dubbed the 1D. Maybe I say the day one. I think it's a little bit easier to say versus the 1D, but I thought it was a great finish. The near falls were everything. The fans were popping. I love their energy from the start because these tag teams are so good together, and they deliver the goods at all times. And I hope they don't wrestle again anytime soon. Let's breathe a bit. But I look at the landscape on SmackDown and I don't see a viable tag team. Maybe, perhaps, if they push the Viking Raiders as serious badasses from NXT, like War Machine or War Raider, something of that ilk to be the tag team to take on the Usos at a WrestleMania, they could have an absolutely amazing match. But at this point, you can't keep going back to New Day. I love this feud, don't get me wrong, but at some point you gotta let it rest for a bit and move on. And I only see the Viking Raiders as being a viable tag team that can go after the Usos, take those titles at WrestleMania, and really 
really do something with them post-mania season. As always, we shall see, but you need a legit tag team that can give the Usos a run for their money. And I was scouting this match the entire time to make sure that Jimmy did not eat the pinfall because that's an inside story too, that Jimmy tends to lose these matches when they count most, and he's always the fall guy that Roman looks at and says, oh, I got your ass. Don't you worry about it. And I always got to check Jimmy to see if he's going to eat that pin at the end of the night. It did not happen, thankfully, so he will not be chewed out by the tribal chief anytime soon. Yeah, no, no you're right. And that's, that is a nice little sub story. And I, I, I agree with you on the name. I, you know, the, I don't, I think the day one is better. You know, the D one, I think you could go with that, you know, kind of flip the three D the D one, you know, since, you know, they've been down since day one, day one ish, day one fell off fits right there. So the D one, I think would work as a nice name. There was another nice little moment in the middle of that match, not in the middle, like uh, actually kind of after the finisher barrage, right before the actual finish of the match, um, where they both, all four of them were in the ring. They were standing by each other's partner, you know, and they were just looking at each other, just exhausted. And there was almost this moment of like, yeah, we knew it was going to be like this. We knew it was going to be this war, even from the Usos. And you could even see the crowd kind of start to get up a little bit. And I think they could have milked that moment a little bit longer. And I think the crowd, because the crowd was just starting to really respond to it and, and realize what they were going for. Uh, but that was a really cool moment. Just that brief show of respect that they had for each other, where it's like, yeah, we, we know what we're in for when we face you know each other in this type of match. I, I just can't say enough about the match. The little things in the match, how they, they count the counters and how they have to do different ty- do their signature moves in a different way because of who they're facing and just how they know each other. I, I just can't say enough about this match. You talk about who they could face next. If we can get the Intercontinental title off of Shinsuke Nakamura, him and Boogs is a, a great babyface team that I think people would really get behind going after the Usos. So we just need to get the IC title off of them. Hopefully very soon, Sammy, do your job and beat him and become the champion we all know and love once again. That is a great option as well, because I've been wondering to myself, why is Shin holding the singular belt when he's doing tag team matches with Rick Boogs with Los Otorios and SmackDown as of late? And we've had this conversation on past episodes of The Wrap as well, going into detail as to why this IC title reign for Shisuke Nakamura has been a bust. And here's exhibit A's in tag team matches that are better than his singles matches for the IC title. Hopefully that theory is proven wrong via his match against Sami Zayn, hopefully very soon on TV at the Warrior Rumble, heading into the end of this month. But great way to kick off the show. And then we hit a lull with Matt Capadamos. As you was in disbelief, he made a pay-per-view against Drew McIntyre a few weeks ago. And this match, I mean, stunning. This match was suited for Friday Night Smackdown on Fox, to be honest with you, on a random Friday night in a random city in America. It was good for what it was. Drew McIntyre chopped the shit out of this dude at various points. You could hear the chops really loud in Atlanta last night. The crowd went on every time. He was throwing around Madcap as well on the floor via overhead belly-to-belly suplexes, which were great. And then Madcap has some power too, some strength as he lifted up Drew for a slam of his own at one point, which was nice to see. But it just went a little bit too long. This crowd was not really buying into Madcap Hadamas as a threat to win this match. And ultimately, Drew 
hit the Claymore for the win. But this feud must continue because he was ambushed courtesy of Happy Corbin and Hatter Moss backstage a few moments after this match was over. And Happy Corbin has been happy for a very long time, collecting checks, getting that money, being rich all over again. But last night he grabs a beam backstage, wraps a chair around Drew McIntyre, and slams the beam into Drew McIntyre at that that chair wrapped around his neck. We have Adam Pierce saying, get some medical here. What is medical, Adam Pierce? What is medical exactly? We can't say paramedics on WWE TV anymore. He's got to go to the local medical facility to get some medical help, apparently. But I better not see Drew McIntyre on SmackDown at all this week, next week. Not until the Warrior Rumble, because once you get pilmanized, you got to sell it for a bit, I think. Yeah, that that was my my initial thinking was that this is going to put Drew out until the Royal Rumble where he's, you know, going to make his big return and eliminate Corbin and I, you know, I figured if he's not going to be in a title match, that's going to be his feud going forward. Um, as, as far as the match goes, Moss is solid. Like, you know, he's a solid guy in the ring. I think him and Drew had a good match. Like you said, this should have been on SmackDown. Or if it was going to be on here, this should have been a quick, you know, Mad Cat Moss turns around, runs right into a Claymore. Drew stares at Corbin. You know, bam, bam, we get out of there real quick and we can still get to exactly where we were. You know, we don't have a restless crowd. I think the crowd would have actually reacted pretty favorably to a, you know, shock, surprise, quick win. You know, for Drew, I think it would have been a nice win for Drew to just get through him quick. You you know, WD is going to do the rematch anyway, so we can have the rematch on Raw and, you know, he can have this or on SmackDown. He can have the same match. This was just not worthy of being on this on this pay-per-view. And this could have saved about 20 minutes off of the show. So, yeah, we, we could have done without this altogether. Definitely. And I heard some rumblings on Twitter as well saying, what about Naomi and Sonya Deville having a match at day one? That would have made more sense than this match. An actual storyline that we still need to find out why Sonya doesn't like Naomi, then have the match at day one and blow it off once and for all. Just a waste of space. I like the fact that Matt Cop got some time. He looked good. But he's still got a ways to go. And I know Drew is all about trying to get people over. He would try his damnness to work his ass off and put in that maximum effort, which he did last night. But this was simply not the time or the place for a 10-minute match on this pay-per-view that the fans simply did not care about, despite how Drew McIntyre is over with the people mostly. Yeah, and then we got Crazy Corbin at the end. So, you know, broke, you know, bum-ass Corbin. Now we we got Happy Corbin. So now we're going into Crazy Psychotic Corbin. I, I'm wondering where exactly the end game is. If he's going for like a multiple personality type thing, maybe he just turns into a mutant like Legion where he just has tons of different personalities and he gets these different wrestling, and he gets these different wrestling abilities depending on his personality. So maybe we are working somewhere with this maybe he's going to have different personalities depending on who he's facing and how hard he gets hit in the head i think we're i think we're building something with this uh crazy corbin character and ira root for every one of those characters over von wagner for the record let it be known <laughs> i'm all in a multiverse baron corbin versus 
one note Von Wagner in any match, in any place, at any time. Snap. (laughs) Just got to go there, even though we don't do NXT for a pay-per-view special. But hey, I couldn't resist. And if you like listening to this show, I hope you do. And every show that drops every single day via the free feed of the Fight Game Media Network, we got some news for you. Uh, Starting this month, we're going to be dropping some bonus content on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. And we're going to be covering the 2017 Warrior Rumble as our retro pay-per-view review for the rap. As Scott has selected the year Randy Orton won the Warrior Rumble once again on his road to WrestleMania against future WWE champion Bray Wyatt. Spoiler alert all. It happened four years ago or now five years ago almost. As time flies really in WWE. We will cover all of that Rumble this entirety via patreon.com slash Media. For all of five bucks a month, so sign up today, tune in, listen in to all the bonus content that drops via the Fight Game Media Network Plus only on patreon.com slash fightgamemedia. And now it is time for our next match for the Raw Tag Team titles we have on top, the Street Profits, Montez Ford, and Angelo Dawkins versus RK Bros, Randy Orton and Riddle. And I should note that... The Prophets were styled by the one and only Bianca Belair last night. A great look by her, per the usual, using that sewing machine to great use. And escorting RK Bro to the ring was none other than, according to WWE's Mike Rome, the greatest group in music today, the Migos. <laughs> <laughs> when when he said that when he said the I was like no don't do that (laughs) don't don't do that don't don't put the the don't be that guy and he he absolutely so like does he not know who Migos is like no the Migos really Like, you don't know who Migos is? Come on, man. The Migos? That's like people who say the Target, the Walmart. <laughs> it's like one of those people. I don't, yes. I don't get it. He really said the Migos, and he said it with such conviction and believability. <laughs> and I was like, so Migos is now singular, plural, and it's like a combination of something extra. The Migos is the greatest group in the world. I'm sure the BTS hive got things to say about that, but I'm going to let that go on this show as you take point on this Raw Tag Team Championship match. So before I get into the match, I just want to point out a couple things. First of all, um, Randy Orton, no question. I put this in the Facebook group as well, but Randy Orton, no question, will be invited to the cookout. Um no, no, no doubt about that. He he definitely getting an invite. You can see it in the handshake. You can see it just in how comfortable everybody is with each other and just how chummy it is. And you know exactly what went down with Riddle and the boys in the back after the match, you know, celebration style. Um, but yeah, Randy's definitely invited to the cookout. Secondly, and everybody talks about it, Randy Orton is having so much fun with this story, with this character right now, with Riddle, just enjoying, you know, having tag matches. And I bet you his body is loving it too, that he's not having to wrestle full singles matches all the time. You know, he just, he comes in, takes some hot tags, takes a few big bumps, but 
Randy looks energized, man. Randy looks engaged. Randy looks like he's locked in. You know, people talk about Randy was kind of just, you know, running through the motions type of guy. And he just happened to be so good that he could get by with it. Randy really looks engaged right now. Like he looks like he's just really giving it its all. And he's just, I I just love the energy that I get from him. I love the Randy, heel Randy Orton is the best Randy Orton, but babyface Randy Orton just has so much fire and he gets the crowd so into it. I just love watching him go. His hot tag is fantastic. He's got a great power slam. He threw a drop kick today. Um, Randy Orton was on fire, man. This was a another great match. Wasn't as good as the Usos New Day match, but this was fantastic. Uh, Montez Ford's got the cornrows going these last few weeks. I wonder if a heel turn is coming with that. You know, if you get your hair braided, you know you got to turn heel because you know you can't you can't have the fro and turn heel. If you have the fro, you got to be a babyface. But if you get the cornrows, you know that's that's you going hard. So you know he's about to turn heel, um, right? That's 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 the logic. I assume that they have going on at WWE. WWE because he has some facial expressions so maybe they might be going with him going heel there too uh the finish was cool with Riddle with the pop-up into the RKO I like that this was a really fun match the Street Profits are a very good team who I think don't really get appreciated enough for how good they are in the ring and I know Randy and Riddle are very good in the ring as well but I don't think the Street Profits really get enough credit for how good they are in the ring, and specifically Angelo Dawkins. I I think he was very good in this match. He's always in the right spot. He's a big body who can move. Um, He's got good agility. I I think he's really... He he might be one of the most underrated guys on that roster, to be honest with you, because... He's he's really good, man. He's just not super flashy, so he gets a little overlooked because you got Montez Ford who can jump twenty feet in the air. Um, but yeah, just another really strong match. I love the finish as well. The pop up RKO is always a thing of beauty. Randy had to adjust a little bit to catch him, but fun match. Really was. And when you think about the Street Profits, they were in NXT for a very long time. And they are one of the true success stories and that they've gotten better over the years. That the PC can work for some folks in some amazing ways. And the Street Profits is a prime example of that. Angelo Dawkins has grown amazingly as a tag team performer over the last year or so. One of the best hot tags in the business. Really versatile as a performer as well. So you really see their growth and improvement. Getting the reps, getting better. And I do think that WWE missed an opportunity by having them be SmackDown Tag Team Champions last year on SmackDown during the height of the Thunderdome era. They kind of had Ziggler and Rue the champs for reasons I don't get. I will never get that reign. It was so boring and lame. The Profits could have been great champs on SmackDown to offer that transition ultimately to the Usos last summer, but I digress on all of that. But they're a great tag team. I do sense a turn for Montez Ford. I don't know when it's going to happen, but the hair is normally a bit clueless to Hmm. Something's happening very soon as they've teased a breakup of the profits, not directly on camera, but via how Montez was booked a couple of months ago against Roman Reigns on SmackDown prior to the draft. So I do see a singles feature for Montez Ford, but I don't want Angelo Dawkins to be lost in the shuffle as well, as I do think the profits have hit a ceiling as being a viable tag team on Monday Night Raw. As for Randy Orton, I have to agree with you as well. He is probably one of my favorite performers in all of WWE today. The crowd loves him. The hot tag is always everything. The RKO is a great finisher that can happen at any possible moment. But above all else, Randy Orton is one of the more 
versatile and multifaceted performers in terms of his character work and that he can burn down houses, burn up people. He can be a heel. He can go after Edge. He can go after Beth Phoenix. He can be a killer promo. He can be a legend killer. He can be so many things at the exact same time, but never loses his heat as a performer. He is incredibly versatile in the latter stages of his career to be anything at all times. Are the feuds always great? No, but as a performer, Randy Orton always understands the assignment and never misses. And his work with RK Bro has been exceptional. Now, we know eventually the shoe is going to drop. I don't know who's going to win these championships ultimately from them because I know one day very soon Orton will betray Riddle. It is going to lead to a match at WrestleMania. It will be very good, if not great. And hopefully Riddle gets something out of it heading into the biggest show of the year. But their dynamic is great. One of the few bright spots on Monday Night Raw, which can be pretty damn dreary most weeks. Yeah, and I I think you you bring up a great point about Randy Orton in that he's been in some, and and this is coming from me, I'm as big of a Randy Orton fan as you'll find. He's been in some awful, just awful um, storylines. He's been in some terrible matches. You know, you talked about, uh, you hyped one of the Patreon shows we're going to do is that Rumble that Orton ends up, or that Rumble that Orton's in, and then he goes to face Bray Wyatt. That's a terrible title match they have at WrestleMania. But he's able to come through with that. Like he, and that's what I mean by he's able to just get the crowd engaged no matter what, man. He's he's not quite. I don't know if it's Teflon, but he's able to just shake this stuff off. And like two weeks later, you know, he has a couple really good matches, cuts a nice fiery promo. He's right back to where you know the legend killer Randy Orton, the, that guy again. So I I think that's a great point you bring up about him being able to do all these different wacky storylines by the way not normal storylines just wacky storylines and then he's right back in the mix being one of the most popular characters in or in wrestlers in WWE and yeah I agree that feud with Riddle is going to be great and I, I said it before and I'm calling it now Riddle will be in the main event next year at some point he will be going after the WWE title because Randy Orton's going to take that guy to the next level I, I just know they got big things for Riddle coming I agree. And Orton is a perfect guy to do it. And Orton, in my eyes, is a perfect person that can always turn a giant bowl of chicken shit into chicken salad, no matter the situation. He's done so over the last five years because he's been in some god awful terrible storylines primarily at WrestleManias that never end well for him but somehow he's able to just adjust get better as a performer in terms of emoting on the mic working his ass off and just delivering and the people love him he is really popular in the twilight years of his career in his mid in his early 40s I should say and quite possibly being as over as he's ever been as a performer in WWE and that is equally remarkable in my eyes And now it is time to discuss something I've been dying to talk about. Here we go. This entire show. Scott. Here we go. Scott has deferred this segment to me because he knows. I'm a nice guy. He's nice. He's a great (laughs) co-host. He's an outstanding team player. But he knew I had to talk about his boy. His favorite WWE superstar, future WWE Hall of Famer, The Miz, versus a legitimate Hall of Famer in Edge. A legitimate Hall of Famer. Oh, so so you, you taking shots before you even get into the match. You ain't even started talking about the match and you already taking shots at my guy. 
Listen, I am stating facts. <laughs> Stone cold facts. That Miz would be a future main eventer of something. I don't know if it's going to be a WrestleMania, but he'll be a main eventer of something this year. He wasn't main eventing this show, but he can take solace in the fact that he was all right against Edge. The brooding Edge hit the Brutes music. He's out there coming through the fire like he couldn't do so at SummerSlam. Came through the smoke and the fire. Great entrance, shades, everything entrance. It is perfection. The Miz comes out with Maurice. Maurice is a vision tonight. And they proceed to have a wrestling match. That is okay. I'm not going to play or hate. It was a very nice match by Miz standards, which are very low in my eyes as he delivered those yes kicks, which was equally blasphemous knowing that Brian Daniels would kick Miz's fucking head in. If you ever see him pull those goddamn <laughs> kicks again, which were awful. So he tried to troll me via those yes kicks, those it kicks. He gets DDT'd on the floor and on the desk. And then Miz picks the leg of Edge like the technician that he is, the technical wrestler that Miz is, like an Olympian, like a trainer that's in the ring picking a body part apart to lock in the figure four. And I will say I hated this spot because it was a tug of war, fighting for position, Edge trying to flip it. I'm like, God damn, flip the man over. It's taking forever. Flip his ass over. The Miz is not a technician. He's not a real threat in there. So eventually Edge flips flips his ass over. And then we have Maurice. And she's at ringside, causing a little trouble behind the scenes. And I'm looking at her, wondering if she's going to slip the Miz some brass knucks. Because they kept communicating during this match every time he had some downtime. And eventually, the big plan was revealed. As Miz had the referee distracted long enough for Maurice to hit Edge with her purse, which must be loaded with something to knock his ass out. And the Miz hits the skull-crushing finale. And I thought to myself, Scott is about to get the first major win of 2022 to come on this show and troll me to say Miz is day one. He did that day one shit. And then a new day miracle took place when Edge kicked out. And I was really thankful for that because Scott knew it was about to be some bullshit on this show. So the match... (laughs) Oh, you're so right, though. You're so right, though. (laughs) He was on the Facebook chat. He was ready to go saying, get the shots ready, because he knew his boy (laughs) was going to win. He wanted me to have shots for myself to be ready for the Mrs. Victory to kick off the new year. Dressed to troll me, ladies and gentlemen. But no, 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 no. Edge kicked out for me. He realized he had to do it for me on this night. Not do it for Beth. Do it for me. Do it for me to know. I had to come on this show, grab this mic, and talk to my co-host, my friend Scott, and say, not on my watch. So, Edge kicks out like the brave man he is, and the match continues, and there's more interference from Maurice, and then, lo and behold, we have someone standing on the ramp, Beth Phoenix, the wife of edge betty phoenix is in the building and i love beth i truly do who fucked up her hair last night i do not know i did not like her hair i love beth but that hair 
was not it. And then they hit her music. I'm like, why are we hitting her music in the middle of a match? So apparently the fix is in in the back to distract Miz long enough. As I told them to, I called the truck. I told Vince, hit the music for Beth Phoenix. Make sure she's out there running down Maurice. And then the Miz looks down at Beth and Beth stares a hole through the Miz and Edge is in the corner waiting to hit that spear on the Miz. It's a beautiful spear. The referee counts one, two, three, and I shed tears of joy knowing that Scott's New Year's wish failed, that I'm not on this show drunk. <laughs> I'm very happy. I'm very lucid to say that The Miz was a chump and a wimp and a bitch that My lost <laughs> on, on day one. And I am very happy about this outcome. And that's why Scott deferred his time to me because he realized that I was right about Miz all the long. He is simply a less relevant MJF. All right. Wow. All right, so now that you got that all out the way, um, so <laughs> I don't really know how to follow that, but a couple things I do want to point out. Uh, Beth Phoenix, the camera was on Beth Phoenix for a good 10 to 15 seconds before the music even played. She was just standing on the ramp, really breathing heavy. Um, so I don't know if she ran there like from the car, from the parking lot or something. And that's why she was breathing like that. She had to catch her breath. So she told him to wait 10 seconds so she could catch her breath before the music played. So that way she had time to recuperate. Then she could run down to the ring because that's a lot of running from the parking lot all the way to the ring. So I get it if that was the plan. The hair. The only thing I can think of is she went for Lagertha from Vikings. <laughs> and you know Edge is in Vikings, so she went for the connection right there. It's the only thing I can think of. Um, now, as far as the Miz, you know, the technical whiz that he is, um, a couple things he shouldn't be doing anymore, and he should have learned this when he was a babyface and he got the move, which was a mistake. Um, the figure four should have been out of his repertoire a long time ago. You know, when, there was a couple Raws when he put it on the wrong leg and then he couldn't put it on and he had his leg in the figure four. So they actually were hurting him. So that should have been out of his repertoire a long time ago. And I'm a big Miz guy. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, see, the thing about the Miz is when he's at his best is when he has a guy who can create the movement for him, when he can just hit the big boot to, you know, to stop a, a baby face's momentum, when he can hit the clothesline in the corner when a baby face is, has some momentum and they miss a splash and he can come back and hit that, you know, that clothesline. That's when the Miz is at his best. That's when he can be that heel who can hit that big move, play to the audience, get them to boo and get them him to want the baby face to build that momentum again and he can he can just feed for the baby face that's when he's really at his best edge isn't that type of baby face he's kind of like edge he actually needs a heel or a baby face who can do that same kind of movement even on his comebacks most of the time it's you know the heel is the one that or whoever he's facing is the one that's doing a lot of the movements Miz isn't that guy to do that I don't think you know it just it didn't seem like their styles meshed really well where they are at this point in their career so the match was fine um you know I, I was actually a little disappointed and I think I think it was good but I, I was expecting a little more you know I was hoping the Miz was really gonna you know have his working boots on it, it was okay and I the finish I 
he why did he have to hit the skull crushing finale? Like I know it, it made a great near fall, but he should have just hit the purse. Preserve that man's finisher. Everybody kicks out of the skull crusher finality. He needs a new finisher at this point. Like why didn't he just hit the DDT? Why didn't he hit the DDT right there after the purse thing instead of the skull crusher finale? So then you can save that. So when he does hit it later on, because obviously I think they're gonna face off again, then you can have another near fall built up. But that's a minor thing. The match was fine. I think they did what they could. You know, just the Miz isn't that guy to have a great match with Edge right now. No, and this is probably one of the worst matches I've seen of Edge since coming back to WWE a couple of years ago. The WrestleMania match against Randy Orton was just long and laborious to get through. This one was just oil and water, not mixing well at all. It was just a bad mix. And honestly, the feud from the jump was just an odd mix. I knew they were trying to capitalize off the MJF and CM Punk magic in Chicago back on Dynamite a few weeks ago. But you can't duplicate that. And I thought this would have been a great opportunity for The Miz to evolve from five years ago to say, you can talk about me, name drop me, but just come up with something fresh to keep eyes on you since you was broached. In that promo that Edge had to talk up for you and not yourself, which was definitely a weird choice. It just felt like Edge was trying to puff up the resume of The Miz and The Miz just regurgitated his resume over and over and over again. And it's been very surface level ever since. And you just combine that with this match, which wasn't great. It was just okay. It was maybe an above average Raw match that would kick off the second hour of a show on a random week in a random city in America. But it just didn't have that oomph and this feud never had that extra sauce besides the first week that really wasn't very good to begin with because you cannot emulate MJF and CM Punk it's a different class of promo Edge is exceptional but Miz had an opportunity to really break through he was the topic of conversation and he did not jump on it I don't know if it's a WWE decision or he needs to find out what he can do in the latter stages of his career to stand out besides what he did five years ago which is now six years ago almost and just do something a bit different heading into 2022 be a different Miz be a chameleon the great always evolve in this business and it's it's now time for Miz to go back in his bag and figure out who he is besides being a guy that can talk a guy that can work to a point but not really that guy you can say has got it to be on the main event level at this point no I I think that's a that's a really good point because in all honesty the video package they did in that short time where they were talking about the Miz's accomplishments and really kind of showing his growth as a performer up to the point where he did main event at Wrestlemania Um, and I think even some of his best work was his IC title runs you know like you said about five six years ago when he was feuding with having a match with Roman Reigns and he was able to just talk the crowd and have them in the palm of his hand when he had the Miz Taraj like I think that's some of the Miz's best just work overall um, and he hasn't been able to get back to that and he cut a really good promo on the pre-show and obviously I think the pre-show seems to be a little bit more loose as far as letting them kind of say what they want but what how does the Miz evolve from here you know it's and again I I want the Miz to succeed like I I still think he has a place I still think he's valuable because he can get a reaction he can talk but how does he where do you go with the Miz right now to get the most out of him 
as a performer, whether it's getting someone over or him just being able to be a viable U.S. champion. Because now, with you know, what we're going to find out later on the show, you know, with the new you know world champion, it's probably not going to be around so much. So the U.S. champion is going to be a little bit more important. This is when the Miz was flourishing before is when there wasn't that heavyweight champion there every week. So when he was the only champion, he flourished there. So I wonder what it's going to take for that to happen. This is kind of where, you know, I wish WWE would kind of just take guys off of TV. Like, I know he was just off of TV, but he needs to be off TV for like maybe three or four months and just come back completely reinvented, maybe have a new stable when he comes back or something like that. But he does need something to freshen him up. Maybe even send him down to NXT for a little bit. Let him work with some of those younger guys. He has the style that WWE is trying to teach them anyway. You know, he's obviously a safer worker. You know, he doesn't get hurt often. The only time he gets hurt is when, he, you know, they decide to put him in the ring with zombies. So I think, you know, why not move him to NXT for a little bit? I think that's a, a move that can freshen him up and just give his character something, like you said, just something different to talk about. Yeah, there needs to be some sort of rejuvenation for The Miz. And I was stunned when he was injured during that zombie match and he kept coming back to work every week in a wheelchair. Like, take a break, dude. You've worked for a very long time. Go home to, to Maurice, be with the kids, be with Marjo, be with your dad, George, be with your mom and just chill for three to four months. And he was on TV every single week. We never got a break. He goes on Dancing with the Stars for a bit. He comes back and it's the same Miz. And I think a trip to NXT would help. He would greatly help a Grayson Waller tremendously because you because you say you see a lot of the Miz and Grayson Waller. And I see a bit of that, too. Could they be tag team champs? Could it could be the grasshopper learning from the master? It could be something like that to help NXT as we've seen the main roster being utilized more for that brand which should have been the goal ever since the reboot. When ratings go down, they figure it out about three months later. But that is a great way to get Miz into something that is juicy and meaty. He can sink his teeth into and really revitalize his career. He's a great talker, but that is not being used as his best asset to get himself over and to get the fuse he's in over at the exact same time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's spot on. Like, I, I just... Yeah, even if you just like use him strictly just as a manager for right now, just you just need to do something different with him just to give him a different look, man. I, I, I think he's I think he's proven to be too good, too valuable in different slots to not to not utilize him the best way you can. So you just got to figure out something to do with him and not just keep throwing him out there. Yeah. And he's got to do the work too. Like yeah, Michael Mazan and you've got to look deep within and say, what am I not doing? That's clicking. And if he figures it out, he'll be good to go. He's got it. We've seen him do it. He was tremendous five or six years ago as a heel against Dolph Ziggler. And the last time Dolph was relevant in a major championship picture. So if Miz can help get over Dolph Ziggler, he can do anything if they let him cook, but he has to grow as well in order for all of this to make sense at the end of the day. And now it is time for our semi-main event of the evening. It is Liv Morgan versus Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship. So, Scott, 
We always talk about on the show sparingly delayed instant gratification. When will it be time for Liv Morgan to have her moment? And we both kind of agreed it's not right now. It's got to be sometime later when she connects with the people thoroughly, have a story they can get behind and ultimately win the big one one day, just not on day one. Yeah, and I'm starting to think I don't think it's anytime soon. I, I just I'm not on the live train. I I think she's a I don't think everybody needs to win the title, you know, and I think that's OK. I think it's OK to have baby faces who just keep coming up short because that's a story right there. That's that's a, an ever going an ever growing story, ever evolving story that you can always tell. And I, I just I don't think she needs to win the title. Like, I, you know, the tag titles, if they want to do something like that, that's fine. But I'm OK with her just being that plucky baby face who's always just fighting for it. And you just never know because she's proven in the like in this match. She proves it towards the end because the beginning of the match is sloppy. It's just a little rough. Um I go back to a particular spot where I'm really just like, man, this is not working for me. She hit a big missile drop kick and it looks like she barely hits her el- uh, Becky Lynch's elbow. And it just kind of encompasses the beginning of the match where it's just a little sloppy. They seem a little off. The crowd's not into it. You know, it just seems like nobody really cares. But as this match starts going on and, you know, we get a nice little nice dive from Liv to the outside. I like her using her turning her body and using her full body into the suicide dive instead of just throwing the hands into him. She turns her body. So it's almost like a suicide dive into a cross body, which is which was real nice. Um, So I like that aspect of it. I think Becky Lynch. She seems a little off her game, too. And I don't know if that has to do with Liv. You know, I don't know if that has to do with. You know, she's not working with a horsewoman, someone she's incredibly familiar with. But Becky Lynch seemed a little off her game. Like some of those kicks she was throwing, I, I, it, that's not really her. That's not really her style to me. You know, I don't really think of her throwing high kicks and big boots when I think of Becky Lynch. I think of her throwing fists, throwing some suplexes, throwing some arm drags, like you know, stomping mud holes. Like she was literally the the female Steve Austin with her own little twist to it, and I just. The, the 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 kicks and stuff that she's in, incorporating and I don't mean the the back the back kick you know the back spin kick because she's had that for a while but that high kick that she throws the the enziguri and the ropes that everybody seems to throw now whenever they you know jump over the rope and then the opponent runs at them they throw that enziguri kick everybody does that now so that's not special um, so even she's doing that so I the match just we just seemed off. The only time the match really seemed to pick up for me was after she got the rings of Saturn in and locked it in that last time. The crowd seemed like they were ready for it. It seemed like if they, if, if she would have tapped out at that point, cause for a second I was like, man, she's stuck for a minute. And Becky Lynch sold it. Great. Uh, Liv Morgan was emotional throughout the match, which made it seem like maybe it was going to be a big moment for, um, I, I really enjoyed that aspect. Like I like seeing stuff like that, that adds to it. Cause then you don't know. You know, especially when she's super emotional, you're like, oh, maybe it's going to be her night. You know, so I did like that. The finish, some people don't really seem to like, but I actually really like the finish. Liv went for uh, her flatliner off the ropes where she catches him in the seated position and falls back. Becky Lynch countered it into her man slam, which is a really nice counter. She missed the ropes, but I'm okay with that because I think the counter, you know, the quick counter is enough of a... 
kind of flash pin in and of itself because it is her finisher and it is coming off of a counter. So I think that's kind of protecting Liv a little bit as well. Um, but so I, I, I like the finish, but I really couldn't tell you much else about the match. It just wasn't an interesting match. And I really hope Becky Lynch moves on. Where's Asuka? Bring Asuka back. Where's Asuka? Bring up Io Shirai, man. She's not doing anything in NXT. Zoe Starks. She's somebody from NXT. I think she might be hurt, but bring those two girls up and let's let's have some different matches. Like, I'm just I'm not a big Liv fan, and I I just don't think the experiment worked. Yeah, it was kind of rough. I like the match, but just emotionally, I wasn't into it because I kind of knew how it was going to end one way or the other, and the fans. As we keep mentioning, Becky Lynch is miscast as a heel. They don't know what to do during her matches, and therefore you're going to hurt the baby faces every time they're in the, in the ring together, unfortunately. And that was an example last night. Liv works incredibly hard, and I love her hustle, but she needs to go on this journey with the fans, and the fans need to latch on to her as well and say, we understand you, we want to get behind you, and by doing so, she will get over eventually in a bigger way, which has got to be away from the orbit of Becky Lynch at this point, unfortunately, because it's not going to work any way you slice it. Becky is simply on a different level and their chemistry was a bit off in the beginning. It got better down the stretch. Loved the unique sunset flip power bomb that Liv hit on Becky. That was very nice down the stretch. Another spot I liked was actually that dive, as you mentioned as well. Just nice work once it calmed down and got into the flow of the match. And I always go back to Becky's matches with Bianca Belair. That's chemistry. Everything they do is seamless and it just does not work in every case every matchup is not going to be seamless and it's not going to be filled with chemistry it's not going to give you those goosebumps they worked really hard and they did their best but that baby face heel dynamic is really throwing off Becky Lynch's matches unfortunately and that will continue and to whoever steps up heading into WrestleMania season comes to Becky and says I got next and I don't know who that could be I do hope it's someone from NXT such as Io Shirai or Dakota Kai or Kayla Ray, somebody of that caliber that can step up to Becky Lynch. I'm not opposed to Bianca Belair either, but we've been there, done that, and it's not a fresh matchup heading into WrestleMania unless Bianca wins and is square one in terms of who she's going to face next. So hopefully, heading into this new year, WWE figures out how can we get a babyface in line for Becky Lynch that can be viable it could be Io Shirai. And as Paul Fontaine mentioned, our sexy OG here on a regular with the rap, noted a few weeks ago, maybe the only person on Monday Night Raw that can get a reaction against Becky Lynch and get cheered would be Alexa Bliss minus that goddamn doll. Yeah, Alexa Bliss probably would. And she's a good enough talker to where she would be able to kind of turn the fans to. I, I think she'd be able to match wits with Becky on the mic, which is another thing I don't think Liv is able to do. She can't keep up with Becky on the mic. Like Becky talks circles around Liv. Alexa Bliss could talk. Um, another idea, I think, because I, I think the big the biggest thing is Becky is just Miss Cass. And I think once she goes back to being the baby face, things will fall back in order. And I think they already have a woman on the roster who can do that, who probably should turn heel herself, and that's Rhea Ripley. I said there's only two women who should be beating Becky Lynch for that title. I know I said where's Asuka and Io Shirai and Zoe Stark. I want them as viable you know, viable challengers. But the only two people who should be taking titles off of Charlotte 
or off of Becky Lynch are beyond or uh, off of Becky Lynch is Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley and Rhea Ripley should turn heel destroy Becky Lynch and take the title off of her and take the title off her at Mania and and have Becky go back to being the baby face and you're like oh she's back to being the baby face of course she's gonna win and Rhea just destroys her and I I think you build up Rhea that way and I mean, those are the only two women who they should be trying to build up right now and elevate to that next level because there's the four horse women and then it's kind of everybody else. Let's at least establish Rhea and Bianca, you know, and that tier right below, you know, Asuka's not here, so I can't put her anywhere, but let's put, let's put those two there. So when Asuka comes back, you've got two ready-made matches. And now when, when those two face the horse women, it feels like a bigger deal. Like if Rhea beats Becky and destroys her, that's a, that's a huge win for Rhea Ripley, especially as a heel. And we know she can play a, a monster badass heel. So, I think that's a way to do it. And you align Becky back as the baby face the way she should be. Absolutely. And which we'll get to right now with the main event. But I do want to touch on Becky Lynch one more time regarding her being miscast as a baby face. SummerSlam 2021 was all about countering CM Punk's debut in AEW. Vince was like, what can we do to spice things up? Let's bring back Brock Lesnar and let's bring back Becky Lynch. And they brought back Becky Lynch in the worst possible way. And it's not Becky Lynch's fault. It's not Bianca Belair's fault. It's mad dash. Let's give us a moment and say, let's go from there without having a real game plan in place. If you brought back Becky as a baby face and you have somebody win the Warrior Rumble and they pick Becky Lynch at WrestleMania, then you switch her as a heel gradually. You have that person you've built up as your baby face Warrior Rumble winner. And then you have Becky slowly deviate into being a heel. That makes Makes more sense. Look what happened. Look what happened with Bianca Belair last year at the Women's Warrior Rumble. She wins. Sasha Banks is a heel, but she knew when to transition to a heel heading into WrestleMania. She was no longer that babyface. She was a heel against Bianca Belair. That's how you do it. That's how you tease seed planting. That's how you get your baby face into a heel mode to face the baby face that everybody loves. If they had the patience and the forethought to wait on a Becky Hill turn until the Warrior Rumble season, then you might not be in this pickle to find anybody, somebody to fill that void heading into WrestleMania season. Yeah. And I, I just think, and you know, just to my, my final thought is I just think the, the, the biggest thing was people didn't get a chance to embrace and cheer and welcome back Becky Lynch. We never got that moment because it was like an instant turn and you knew what was coming, especially her first appearance right after SummerSlam. We never got the chance to just welcome Becky Lynch back. Like she had been gone so long. People have been cheering, you know, we want Becky all the time and then they get her and you turn and you, you want us to boo her. Nobody wanted to boo her. Nobody still, people still don't want to boo her. So until you let people just fully embrace her, like they, that's why people like the, the Survivor Series match with Charlotte so much. Charlotte's so easy to, to root against. People were quick to get behind Becky. You just got to give people that moment with her. Yes. Give us the moment. Give us time. And then when it's time to do the heel turn, right? There you go with the face that has a credibility and the possibility to be Becky Lynch to boot to make all of this make sense. But of course, WWE tends to book for the moments and not long term longevity for their champions, which leads to the main event of the evening. It is a fatal five way match for the WWE championship featuring the champion. 
the WWE champion, Big E, Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens versus Bobby Lashley versus the Beast, Brock Lesnar. This was a eight plus minute sprint of all action as this was just Emile from the jump with everybody hitting big moves on everyone. I loved the clothesline that Big E gave Brock Lesnar. I thought, okay, here we go. A legit shot at Brock Lesnar, courtesy of our WWE champion. He did that. And then Bobby Lashley spears Brock through the barricade, their first interactions ever in a WWE match after years of clamoring for it. Then we have Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens directing traffic as they try to take out Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar the exact same time. They were able to take out Bobby for a bit until Big E takes out Bobby with the Uranagi through the table. And early on, Brock was just dropping dudes with German suplexes left and right. It was a great moment. And then as everybody gets back in the ring, we have Kevin Owens go for a set time bomb on Big E. He gets the knees up. Then Seth flies through with a splash on Big E for a near fall. Brock is back in there, hits F5s on Big E, Seth, and KO. Bobby gets in there, hits a spear on Brock, hits in the, locks in the hurt lock, and you think for a moment that Bobby Lashley is going to make Brock Lesnar tap to the hurt lock. MVP is going crazy at ringside. You got a Bobby Lashley chant going on. It's a great moment. Then Big E breaks that up. It's the big ending on Bobby Lashley, and he goes for the big ending on Brock Lesnar. I'm hoping and praying, please hit it, but no. Brock Lesnar wiggles out, hits an F5 on Big E and pins Big E to become the new WWE champion. And my mood immediately changed. And I want to preface this by saying I love ponytail babyface Brock Lesnar. I love overalls, plaid, moose hunting Brock Lesnar a lot. He's great in this role. He's a great promo as of late. He's a fantastic baby face. He's in the best feud in WWE alongside Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. But to see him beat Big E clean as a sheet in the middle of that ring made me very upset because you had four, well, I shall say three other people that could have eaten that pinfall more so than Big E. If you are trying to protect your WWE champion in the best possible way, give Big E an out. Let him get taken out by the heels and let someone else eat the pin. Kevin Owens is a viable option, and we thought that was going to be the main option before the contract renewal, courtesy of WWE, a few weeks ago. But oh no, Big E eats the pin, and it's very disappointing when we see a guy that cashes in the briefcase a few months ago, has a great moment for Monday Night Raw, for a WWE, because needed to pop a rating to stop the bleeding in terms of losing and demo battles against AEW. And it was a great way to pop a number. It was a great way to stop the bleeding for a bit. Hot shot, booting, hot, shot bu- hot shot booking is a great idea in theory, but you have to have a long-term idea for your WWE champion. And there was never, in my eyes, a long-term plan for Big E to be a viable champion heading into the heart of WrestleMania season. He did great business for WWE outside of the ring in the boxing realm, UFC, for his alma mater, Iowa, being on Fox Sports, being everywhere, repping the championship with pride and honor. During the interview circuit being the champ of champs and you have him lose this way was incredibly disappointing anybody else besides big e should have eaten that pen in my estimation it was a sour way to end a pay-per-view i'm happy that brock won but not the way he did because we get flashbacks of what happened with kofi kingston a couple of years ago on smackdown the first smackdown 
on Fox and he loses in eight seconds to Brock Lesnar. So I guess that Brock Lesnar is the kryptonite to the new day. And that's why King Xavier Wood says, give me a goddamn crown all day. It's not worth being WWE champion for that to happen to my brothers the way it did. Not once but twice now in a span of a couple of years, which is a shame. And I know the WWE wanted to give the fans a moment, but my goodness, not at the expense of Big E, not like this. There is a better way to protect your champ than have him lose clean and make his championship reign, unfortunately, feel very null and void. That's why you don't get lost in the moments in WWE. They're great, but they're fleeting because you know, eventually, inevitably, bullshit is coming some way, somehow. Oh man, it's I guess Brock's just not with the power of positivity, man. He uh <laughs> that guy first first SmackDown, he destroys uh Kofi Kingston on and you know, if you're part of the new day and it's a first of anything and Brock Lesnar's in the match, you know what the deal is. You know you know not only are you losing, but you're eating the pinfall. I, I just don't under I understand Lashley not eating the pinfall and I love the fact that Lashley got to dominate Brock Lesnar pretty much at every turn. Um, So I understand that Kevin Owens is right there. Kevin Owens is right there. And he's somebody who it's not like you've been protecting him. He just lost last week on Raw. So it's not like he can't take a loss. So he's right there. You don't want Seth Rollins to lose. That's fine. He didn't have to take loss. Kevin Owens is right there. You know, um, you know, Big E of all people, Big E, you save that. So now when Big E goes back to Raw, he's like, hey, I didn't get pinned. You know, Brock, I'm I'm here. Let me get my re- you know, let me get my match. This is babyface Brock now. So Brock's like, hey, you want to fight me? Let's do it. You know, but I don't fight for free. He's still a prize fight. I don't fight for free. You fight me at the pay-per-view. You know, blah, 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 yada, yada. Bam. We still get a big match. Like, that's still a nice... Big E versus Brock is still a cool match to see one-on-one. I'm okay with that. You you know what the deal is, but if we can get a good match out of it, that's what I want. If we can get a fired-up Big E, maybe we see a different side of Big E that we didn't get to see. You know, we have to get a more serious side if he's going against Brock. There's a nice story to be told. There's When people lose titles... There is a great redemption story to be told, especially when they're not pinned for the title. And that's a journey that people will take. Um, it's, so I, I don't understand why he, it just, he, him, Big E taking the loss is the most illogical thing they could have done because it, it, there's so, anybody else besides uh, Rollins or Owens could have taken, Owens is right there. I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> Kevin Owens was right there. I mean, like, I just, I don't understand exactly what the thought process was. And I'm wondering, was Big E supposed to lose the title anyway? You know, was the plan for Big E to lose the title anyway? And if so, who was it to? Who was supposed to be, whose WWE title reign did Brock Lesnar just take? Was Brock Lesnar supposed to be Roman Reigns for the title? You know, was that supposed to be the big day one news coming out? Brock Lesnar ends Roman Reigns' reign. Uh, Roman Reigns' reign. When he, there you go. Uh, before it beats or before it surpasses Brock's longest all time. You know, was that the story they were going to tell? So I'm very curious to know what the original plans were. Was Big E going to retain? And we were going to get a one-on-one match with him and Seth Rollins at, at Royal Rumble. Now we're going to get Rollins versus Brock Lesnar because Rollins still has his story intact. You know, and, and Brock Lesnar pinned Big E, so he's got to go to the back of the line so 
what was the original plans and what do you do now? Like, I do not want to see a title versus title unification, Brock versus Roman, because I, I just, that's, I know it's a big match and I know people want to see Brock versus Roman for the title and that's cool, but I don't know if I need to see a unification match between them or you could end up with a Cena Orton type situation where they really just turn on the match. And I don't want that for either one of those guys. No, and they're having the best feud ever in six attempts. And I don't want this ruined on some bullshit, but it was a choice. And you ask a very good question. If Big E was supposed to lose last night, who, not named Brock Lesnar, was going to get the win? Who was it going to be? And I would have been a bit, oh, I would have been a bit better about the outcome, but I would not want him to lose outright because it just doesn't feel right to me. It just doesn't because we go on this journey of people that we really admire and respect. And it's a journey, it's a story, and it's beautiful when it's capped off. But it's all about the follow through. And they fumbled Big E's title reign in a big way. He was a background player in his own championship feud, never front and center. It was all about Seth and KO plotting behind the scenes. It was Bobby Lashley possibly dumping MVP. Now it's Brock Lesnar coming out last and not the WWE champion who came out fourth. So you knew something then in terms of deference. Who's more important, your WWE champion or Brock Lesnar? And Brock, I do think he'll show up more as champion because up until the pandemic, Brock was on every role during 2020 just about which was impressive for him so I expect him to do the same but it was just a choice by WWE that I don't get and I am not a fan of we'll see how it plays out because we know how it plays out and I'm afraid that Big E might be pushed back down to the mid-card scene I don't want to see that but I can't trust WWE booking because we've seen this trope time and time and time again you give us the big moments it's just frustrating as a fan i know it's a business i know everybody plays a part but optically it doesn't look right to me you know I, what's crazy is biggie was probably the fourth most important person in the match if you think about it obviously brock was the biggest name i would argue bobby lashley has you know even though he's taken a few losses lately he to me he feels like a much bigger deal than biggie without the title um i'd argue seth rollins kind of feels like a bigger deal and a bigger name than Big E, even, you know, without the title. So, I, I mean, what they do, they have an opportunity now. Like I said, there's there's a redemption story to be told. Hey, I got to start from the bottom and work my way back up. That's a story people will, that's an easy story that people will latch on to. That people like Big E. And now you can evolve Biggie. Now we can take his character in a different direction. We can tell a new chapter. That chapter's over. Nothing you can do about it now. But now we got to do something with him. Let's not let him fall back into just being a guy. He's a former WWE champion now. Once you get that title, you are a former WWE champion. Use that. He has value now. He has, he has you know, credibility as far as, you know, being accomplished in the WWE he's reached the pinnacle so you you've got to keep him special I'm not asking you to keep him like a Drew McIntyre because like I said there are levels to this but it wouldn't hurt to try to at least keep him close to that level you know it him on like a Bobby Lashley level just make him feel important Bobby Lashley feels important that's why when he had his face-offs with Brock Lesnar 
he got the reactions he did. People wanted him to get the, that face off. And, and this is against babyface Brock, who people love. So Biggie's got to do the same thing. But, you know, we talked about it with The Miz. And this this is kind of a, a WWE problem. And I don't know if it's the workers just getting complacent or if it's WWE just saying, you know, just keep doing what works. But they've got to evolve. The characters have got to continuously change. There has to... When you lose a title, I I hope Biggie's pissed off to you know on on Raw. Biggie needs to be pissed off, like he just needs to be fired up and 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 ready to just go to war. I hope he just goes out there and destroys somebody in a match, you know, and, and calls out Brock because that's what needs to happen. Make the title feel important. Make that loss seem like it hurts you personally. That's what I want to see out of Biggie, and that's the next character evolution. I think people are ready for out of him. Yeah, he needs to be pissed off. The bitter taste of this defeat should be seeping through his veins heading into Monday Night Raw. And I want to see that. I don't want to see WWE slide him back down in the mid-card. He should be on the Bobby Lashley level as being a main eventer, that despite not having a championship, you still got your spot as being a top-tier guy. And that's a big test, not only for WWE, but for Big E as well. And I know he's got it. We've seen him do it before when he locks in being serious on the mic. And we're not saying drop the comedy, but when you lose your WWE championship, you should be fired up, mad as hell, and you want your championship back, and you will walk through fire, you will go through hell, you will go through 30 men in the Warrior Rumble to do it some way, somehow, or shall I say 29 men, as he's the 30th guy in that match. If it does come to pass, heading into the Warrior Rumble, we shall see, but he's got to be on a completely different level. And I hope that happens for him. I truly do. Brock being the champion is very interesting. It does make the Warrior Rumble and now WrestleMania really unpredictable. You don't know where we're going from here. They had to make some panic move, which was definitely a move last night. But I hope it benefits Biggie in a big way because I don't want to see what I saw from Kofi a couple of years ago. He crumbles a pancake and then that is the extent of his anger. That's the extent of his rage at losing the championship in eight seconds. I want a bit more from Big E to say, you know what? I was done dirty. I lost clean as a sheet, but I have got to rise above this and reach the next level. Be on the Bobby Lashley tier. Be a guy that is no nonsense, takes no shit, and just goes out there and keeps fighting. And the fans will love him for that. But as always, it's what WWE has in mind. And I hope they didn't view him as let's have Big E pop us a rating for September and October and let's just push him to the side because we've made the use of him for what he was going to do for us. No, he is a guy that you need as one of your centerpieces of Monday Night Raw because you don't have many that can be a bona fide main eventer that can give you quality matches, give you what you need to keep that show afloat heading into WrestleMania season. So let me let me ask you, because like you said, it definitely changes things up a little bit with Brock Lesnar being champion on the other side, because I'm pretty much I think most people assume that we're going to get Brock versus Roman at, at WrestleMania for the title. And we still might get that title versus title match. I just don't think that's happening this year. I, I, I think if we do get that title versus title match, it's going to be next year. Not next year, but it's going to be later on, like maybe six, seven months down the road. I think that's like a Survivor Series type thing, you know, Raw versus SmackDown. You unify the titles there or something like that. Um, who do you think Keela wins the Rumble now? Like, or what do you think they do with the Rumble? Like, if the plan is to do a title unification, what do you do with the Rumble? And if it's not, like, who who would you have win the Rumble? What do you, what do you think they do now? 
There is a name that has been floating around lately. And this dude has been working on his fitness as of late in Europe, in the lab. And he must have the same fitness plan as Imperium. I've been hearing a lot about Walter possibly winning the Warrior Rumble and maybe going after a Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. He would be the only guy that would strike legit fear in their hearts to say, oh, fuck, I'm not walking away with this belt at WrestleMania. He could be the guy to do that. I've heard a lot of rumblings about Walter jumping up to the main roster, being in being stateside a bit more this year. And to me, that would be huge for WWE, a guy that is no nonsense and would absolutely strike fear and scare the shit out of Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar for either championship. I think the Walter thing works really well, especially with babyface Brock. There's not a lot of guys that you can throw at him where he can kind of be a little bit of an underdog as a babyface. And Walter is a guy that you can do that with. Um, Not only would I love to see Walter chop Brock Lesnar, just open hand (laughs) palm, slap the hell out of his sword and just, you know, try to put that sword into his chest literally and make it disappear. Um, but I would I would love to see Brock Lesnar tossing Walter around because we would he would absolutely take a trip to Suplex City and the crowd would eat it up. I think that's a money WrestleMania match that a lot of people would be intrigued by because Brock Lesnar's a fantastic worker. Walter is one of the best in the world. Um I, I think that match is that's a fantastic match. So if you do that, so let's say that happens. What do you do with Roman? That's a good question. So at this point, we have a feeling that the pivot is going to be Drew McIntyre eventually. That's why he's stuck feuding with Happy Corbin right now alongside Matt Capadamos. That could be a WrestleMania possibility. If a SmackDown star does not win the Warrior Rumble, then you've got the Elimination Chamber as your last chance to get somebody as the number one contender for Roman Reigns at WrestleMania in Dallas. That is the only other option that I have. In a perfect world, I would love King Xavier to be elevated, but I don't trust WWE to do it. And knowing how New Day title reigns have began and ended over the last couple of years, keep him far, far away from any major championships because I don't want to be angry again. I think if you do Drew McIntyre versus Roman, he needs he still needs a, a big win. And nobody on SmackDown can give him that big win. I think he would have to be the guy to win the Rumble. Um, I don't even think an elimination. I think that Rumble win is what he needs. Another Rumble win with the fans, you know, in front of the fans. I think um, that would kind of give him that big win and that big momentum he would need to face. Because you, you got to be ready when you go against Roman or you're going to get ate up. You know, like the, the crowd really likes Roman. Like they'll get behind you, but you got to bring it and you have to have a little bit of credibility with them. I, I, you know, and I I don't like the feud right now with Drew McIntyre and and Corbin and Mad and Mad Cat Moss and, and, you know, Corbin about to have these split personalities. So I just think Drew really, you know, he's just got to be ready to, I think he needs a big win. And I don't know if there's a guy on SmackDown who could give him that unless he faces like Edge in a number one contenders match. That's something that he, that could really do it for him. But outside of that, I don't think anything but a rumble win could elevate him enough to to get him at that level for Roman because a believable level let me rephrase that a believable level to beat Roman yeah and my outside chance is always Seth Rollins is that's a great built-in story for Roman as well yeah so those options but as we keep naming familiar names outside of Walter 
it really is telling that there is not a fresh face from WWE, not named Braun Breaker, that could break through and get into a main spot at a WrestleMania. And that's a blessing and a curse for WWE, renaming a lot of veterans and not a top, fresh, new face that can give the veterans a run for their money. Hey, Braun it's Breaker, telling though. We have to go, yeah. Braun Breaker, though, that's, a, that's not a... Hey, you want to put a rocket strap on somebody, though, That's that'd be a way to do it. Have them win the Rumble, go after Roman, beat Roman. I mean, what more could you do? That is true. I do want my man to run NXT for about a year. Oh, no, <laughs> have the too. keys. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have the keys, slow roll them a bit, then move them up for WrestleMania in California for next year. But it is telling that we name a lot of veteran people that have been there, done that at WrestleMania, and it's not a fresher face in the title scene outside of Walter. And that is something that WWE has to work on heading into the new year. We've been saying this for a very long time, but it's more prevalent than ever to really get a fresh new face against these vets who are great. But you have to think about the future because a lot of these guys are not getting any younger. All right. So with that, as always on the wrap, before we put a bow on the show, we have to give a letter grade to day one from the A. And it's not going to be an A for me, let's be honest. But Scott, what is your final letter grade for day one? I I really enjoyed the pay-per-view. Like I, I didn't like the finish of the, you know, I wasn't too big of a fan of the finish. I think that could have used a few more minutes to build to that finish of the WWE title match. The women's match wasn't that great, but the two tag matches were fantastic matches. Um, I, I just think they're well worth going out of your way to see. And the main event was solid for what it, for what it was. The sprint, just the, the ending. We're just going to see where it goes. I'm going to give it a solid B+. I think it's a solid solid pay-per-view to watch and those like i said those tag matches are well worth going out of your way to watch the main event is a lot of fun has a big fight feel you just might feel a little down with the ending I'm on the same wavelength. It was definitely a solid show. Some of the booking was definitely a choice, especially the main event. I'm going to go a little bit lower than the Stephanie McMahon B+. I'm going to go with a B-. It was a nice way to kick off the year for WWE. Great opener, New Day versus the Usos for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. The main event was a great sprint despite the finish, and hopefully this is going to be a multi-layered story for Brock and Big E and possibly Seth Rollins and everybody heading into the Warrior Rumble as this has ramifications and implications for Roman Reigns as well. We pray for a speedy recovery for him. I know this was not the intended main event for last night's show, but they may do with what they had and they gave us quite a way to kick off the new year for WWE, which leaves everything heading into WrestleMania and serious flux. Is that a bad thing? Not necessarily, but as always for WWE plans will change. Yeah, and we'll we'll see what happens, but you know, like it's you know, hopefully you know Roman you know get well soon. But I, I am very curious to see what happens with the WWE title. Now it does make it very interesting. I'm I'm excited. I'm intrigued by Raw Monday. That's not something I can say often. Yes, because they've got a rough go. Besides the last Monday Night Football game of the season, they've got college football playoff championship game, Georgia, Alabama, the following Monday. There is an NFL wild card game that's absolutely going to kill Monday Night Raw. That's 40 million viewers potentially watching that wild card game in some shape or form across this country. That is a staggering stat. I will pray for Monday Night Raw. Somehow, some way, you're not going to beat an NFL wild card game on a Monday night, and they will have exactly one week of peace between that and the final hype for the Warriors 
Warrior Rumble. So maybe they knew they needed a Brock win to really get eyes on Monday Night Raw, at least for the first Monday of the year. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if it works. They're gonna get they're gonna get destroyed, and, that, and that's okay. Like it's fine, but they're they're gonna get destroyed on Monday with all that going on. I mean, even with the Brock win, and like I said, I'm sure there's a lot of intrigue, but that's what D- the DVR game has changed. It man, DVR has changed the game, so you can watch that on replay. Absolutely. It's going to be rough, rough, rough for WWE to begin the year. It will get better, hopefully, after February. But yeah, that is a hell of a way to get ready for the Warrior Rumble with a shitload of football competition is going to wipe them out in a few weeks time. Will it be bad? We'll see, but it's definitely not going to be easy to say the least. And with that, it's now time to put a wrap on this week's episode as we now sign off as we bid adieu to the first day of 2022, many days to come as we're back on track next Monday with a brand new wrap with our three-person crew covering all things WWE from Raw, SmackDown, and NXT 2.0. And I dare to say that NXT 2.0 will deliver COVID pending, not fucking things up. Their greatest show to date since the reboot. I think that's a uh, a fair assessment. I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually really excited for NXT 2.0. I think it's going to be a really good show. I think they're going to show out. Yes, absolutely. So hopefully the card holds up. We'll talk about it next week with our mystery third guest, which we'll get to next week right here on the wrap. So from myself and first Scott. Von Wagner's best friend and confidant. Thank you for being a friend to Von Wagner, Scott. That's my guy. Better friend. Yes, you are a better friend to him than you are to The Miz. Well, that's because Von Wagner wins more. <laughs> you know, it's, you know he, at least he, he wins his matches. Look at Kyle O'Reilly. He's not even in the company no more. Miz can't even beat Edge. He, Edge is like 60 years old. What's up with that? What's going on? But Big Daddy, Big Daddy Vaughn can beat Kyle O'Reilly, though. What's up? What's up with that, man? Same face Vaughn. You know what? Maybe they should be a tag team in NXT. That's what they need to do. We need to just go ahead and send Miz down. Him and Vaughn, they can be Miz Vaughn, Vaughn Miz, Vaughn Miz. They can be Vaughn Miz um, and just run that division for a while. I'll just talk that into existence. I live in a world when Scott has forsaken the Miz and has decided to roll with Von Wagner, who technically, who technically has a better winning record as we speak than The Miz. What hell am I living in that Scott is co-signing on the Von Wagner push over The Miz? Miz, this is how far you've fallen when Von Wagner gets more pressed than you, sir. Just for this week. I'll be back on The Miz train next week. To be determined, folks, but to know I have corrupted Scott to this level makes me very happy as a residential Ms. Hater on this show. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have a fantastic week. Stay safe out there. And my work is done. And that's a wrap. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, 
or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes. Ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.